Good morning, church. On the first, day, first week of Advent, we lit the hope candle. We were reminded that Jesus brings hope in our longing for justice. On the second week, we lit the peace candle. We're reminded that Jesus gives us peace in our longing for relationship. On the third week, week we lit the candle of faith, and we are reminded that Jesus gives us faith in our quest for spirituality. On the fourth week, we lit the candle of joy and were reminded that in our search for beauty, Jesus is our true joy. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. He sat on the throne then and said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. Today is the day we celebrate that all our longings are fulfilled in our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, though the heavens are your throne and the earth your footstool, still you care for us. Every word you have spoken will be accomplished. Turn these words of yours into our faithful companions and comforts for our longings. May we always find our greatest contentment in our chief shepherd, Jesus. We long for his return. Make our hearts ready. Amen. This morning, I hope that you'll open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Revelation chapter 21. As we look at this incredible scripture together, it is a reminder that it's appropriate that we are a people of feasting and celebration. I know we had quite a feast in my household yesterday. It was a wonderful time of celebration together, a variety of food set out on the table to enjoy over the course of an extended time as a family together. It's right that we would feast and we would celebrate, but it's also right that we would gather in such a way as we do today to remember that in the midst of our celebration, we can become so excited about all the trappings of the celebration. It's so good, so sweet. But in the midst of that, we can also become forgetful. And so in our normative gathering, Sunday after Sunday, as we gather to remember 
the resurrection morning, the day of our, our Lord's resurrection, the hope that we have in him, it calls us to remember the central things of our faith. What, what is the substance of our feasting? What is the substance of our celebration? And this passage that we have before us this morning calls our eyes to, by faith, to the substance of our hope, which is the return of our Savior Jesus Christ. This morning, we conclude our Advent sermon series. We spent the last four weeks together reflecting on what N.T. Wright calls echoes of a voice, that is, the longings that are so often shared across humanity in a variety of cultures and a variety of circumstances, such as longing for justice, hunger for relationships, quest for spirituality, delight in beauty. We've considered all of these longings, but in the midst of all those shared longings, we discover a question that the voice of God alone can answer. But we've so often failed to listen. We failed not only to listen, we failed to believe. And then maybe we've listened, maybe we've believed, but then we've quickly forgotten. We need to remember again what is the substance of our hope, what is the word of the Lord. Our passage this morning presents us with the great fulfillment of all of humanity's hope, all of humanity's longing. It presents us with the end of our rescue. Do you want to catch a glimpse of what it looks like to be rescued? What it looks like to enter the rest of our rescue? It presents the triumphant and celebratory moment when God's plan of redemption culminates in final reconciliation of God with mankind. And we're going to reflect a lot on that this morning. In the first advent, the Christ came. Right? That's what we celebrate in Christmas. In the first advent, the Christ came. And, and he came to secure redemption for all who would place their faith in him. Let's remember that. We just got done celebrating Christmas, and, and Christmas is more than the birth of a baby. It's the inauguration, the great coming for which so many longed, in which God would take on flesh in order to secure something, in order to secure a righteousness and a sacrifice that would accomplish redemption for all who would place their trust in him. And now, as we read in our passage this morning and elsewhere in the book of Revelation, we have the second advent. And that second advent is, is on the basis of the redemption that's secured in Jesus' first coming. We have this proclamation that God has come to dwell with his redeemed people once for all. So today we'll reflect on this passage and see how at the center of this passage is the fulfillment of all of our longings. Heaven on earth. God with his people. This is the answer to our longings questions. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that you have placed within us a, a longing for greater things. Uh, an awareness that there is, there is something someone that is the fulfillment of our hopes. But Lord, we have filled up that longing with all kinds of idolatry. We've already gone in confession to confess so many of those things. 
But Lord, your word remains true. Your promise is still as secure as the means by which you secured it. Your redemption, the hope that we have in you, is sure. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning you would use this passage to reorient us, to place us by faith in the security of the hope that we have in Christ, God with us. Thank you, Lord. We pray that you would also encourage the church, that you would buoy our hope and, and solidify our remembering as we open your word together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage begins with really a, an interchange between the passing away of old things and the coming of new things. The passage says in verse 4, the former things have passed away. That's an important statement. The former things have passed away. And what are the former things? Well, we'll come to those in just a moment. But was those former things pass away, we have the new things which come. And you can see those back in verse 1. Right away, we're told in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And then I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. We have the new things that are to come. And the new things are heaven, a new heaven, and a new earth. And then coming to dwell in the midst of the new heaven and the new earth is a new Jerusalem, the new place from which God reigns and where he makes his presence known in the new heaven and the new earth. You see, the old things, the old heaven, the old earth, they're just a pattern and an image of the things that are eternal. They're real, but they aren't enduring. They will pass away. And they serve as a pattern and an image of the greater things that are eternal and will not pass away. There is a new order. There is a new creation that God has prepared for redeemed humanity. Friends, that's good news for me already. When I look around us, I see so many things that are beautiful, that are excellent, that are sort of temporary satisfactions for longings, objects of, of hope, but then they don't quite satisfy. And I say, I, I want something like that. But I want it in its perfection, and I want it to endure. Well, the new heaven and the new earth are like the old heaven and the new earth. But they're perfect, and they endure. The old things, they're passing away. First one says the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and verse 1 says that the sea was no more. Now, the sea is of particular importance, a significant symbol of chaos and rising evil. For instance, one of the things I would encourage you to do is maybe consider jotting down Revelation chapter 13 in the margin of your Bible there. In Revelation 13, we have the beast, the enemy of God and his people, and it rises up out of the sea, this symbol of chaos and the enemies of God. And in the new creation, there is no place from which enemies would arise. We're being told this in that there is no sea. Evil and opposition are abolished, is what we're being told. In this new way, in this new order, in this new creation, there is perfection, and it will remain perfect. There are no enemies coming at the gates. 
And what that tells us is that there is a rescue and a rest. A rescue and a rest. And we see that most perfectly pictured for us in verse 4, right? In verse 4, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There is an order of things in this present age, in this heaven, this earth. There's an order of things, and the order of things are tears and death and mourning and crying and pain. And this tells us news of rescue and rest. Just yesterday, at the end of our Christmas celebration, Sandy was washing up some final dishes behind me, and I was sitting on the couch wrapping up some of the sermon notes. And, and all of a sudden, there was a loud crash, a really loud crash, the breaking of something that was clearly very significant in the kitchen. And I startled, and I just said, oh no. And I kind of started to turn around. I knew that Sandy had cooked and served with so many of the special dishes. You know what I'm talking about? The special dishes that you pull out on holidays like Christmas. And I was afraid that one of those dishes was broken. Thankfully, it was simply one of the older dishes, a relatively typical cooking dish, nothing of any significant sentimental value. But I quickly thought in that moment, looking at this passage, how long, Lord, until there's peace and rest? How long, Lord, until things don't break? How long, Lord, until we don't have this sense of anxiety, like, oh no, things were going so well, and then everything broke. E even in, in Merry Christmas, when we gather on a day like today, and we say things like, we hope you had a great time with your friends and family yesterday. We know that even those who are saying that, say that from a position of, I did, but there were lost things too. There were things that were broken. There, there were those who weren't with us. There were memories that came through that were sweet, but also bitter. How long, O oh Lord, until the old way of things passes away and at any one moment we aren't jolted into oh no when will you wipe away the tears when will death be no more when will there be no more mourning or crying or pain and as the, though the lord hears our anxiety as though he hears our fear and our cry and he, so he hears the cries of his people enter verse 3 Verse 3 has to be one of the most precious statements in the Scripture, and verse 3 comes from the mouth of the throne itself. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Friends, this is the good announcement. The one who sits on the throne speaks, and his words are, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. What is the great announcement? What is the good news? Friends, the gospel announcement is God with us. That is the great hope, the promise of redemption. God with us 
us. This is the good news of both the first and the second advent. You remember, Jesus came to dwell with us. In the version of the scripture that was read this morning, it said, he tabernacled with us. He dwelt, he made his tent with us. And he makes his tent with us again. And he did so in his first advent to secure a foundation upon which would stand our ultimate rescue, his sacrificial death on the cross in the place of sinners. And now in his second advent, the Lord has set up a permanent dwelling in the midst of the people. I just think of redemption history, right? And we can talk about tabernacles. We can talk about tents. And in redemption history, God promised to be with them and he met them in a variety of places. And then he gives them this tent and they set it up and the the cloud of his glory descends and he's in the midst of the people, but it's still a tent and it gets torn down. They follow a pillar of cloud and fire and then they set it up again. And it's a temporary tent. And then, then finally they get the instructions on, on building the temple, right? And the hope is, I mean, if they're going to build a temple and it's on the same pattern as the tabernacle, surely the temple, that's permanent. That's the place where God's going to make his dwelling in the midst of the people, Right? No, it's still in the midst of the old order of things. It's still in the midst of the old heaven, the old earth, and it will become the old temple. It's temporary, but there is a temple to come in which the temple is God himself in the midst of the people in the eternal city. This announcement, this announcement of God with us is the answer to our longings questions. And that's what I want to do, is I want to spend a few moments, the remainder of our time, simply considering and reviewing the four echoes of a voice that we consider during our Advent series. I want us to see how this one good announcement, God with us, the dwelling place of God with man, is the answer, the full face-to-face answer, the authoritative hope for all of our longings. We'll begin by looking at longing for justice. Back when we were looking at that together just a few weeks ago, we considered Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5, near the end of the chapter there in verse 30, it says, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule at their discretion. And the people love to have it so. But what will they do when the end comes? Now there is a good question. And a question that our passage addresses. You see, any longing for justice that has any hope for fulfillment must begin with the end in mind. The Lord is returning. The end is near. And our passage in Revelation is clear. There will be a division and there is justice. There are those who will enjoy rescue and rest. There is. There's hope for a people of faith who rest on the redemption that is found in Christ. For them there is no death, no mourning, no pain. And then there are those who are cast out and experience 
what the passage calls the second death. There is justice. There will be justice as a response for all sin. That's good news. What it tells us is our God is not a pushover. There is a kingdom with a king who rules with justice. And he doesn't say, all oh, those bad things. Ah, I got a new kingdom for us. Don't worry about it. He was very concerned about justice and righteousness. There will be either justice in Christ's sacrifice on the cross, in the place of those who are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, or there will be justice upon the sinner himself who dies in his sin. Friends, we are right to long for justice. But may that justice, in light of the end, create in us a longing for redemption. And may that longing for redemption turn our eyes to Christ. And may we place our faith there, where there is rescue and rest. Our consideration of justice must begin with the end in mind. And the end in mind is the just kingdom. But we don't just end with a consideration of justice, a division between those people of faith and those who remain in their sin, we also have to consider and recognize what a perfect and just kingdom looks like. What is the essential core of a just kingdom? One of my favorite passages in all of the scriptures is Revelation chapter 11 verse 15. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. What is the center of the just kingdom? The just ruler, the just king, the just judge, the Lord and his Christ. The just kingdom looks like a kingdom with the Lord on the throne. That's the center of justice. The center of justice is wherever it is where the Lord is on his throne. And the greatest justice of that kingdom that we read about in Revelation 21 is that the Lord on his throne is rightly worshipped by all of heaven's citizens. This is what maintains the justice of the kingdom. That the greatest glory receives the greatest worship. We read these quotes from Thaddeus Williams weeks ago. Justice has been defined for millennia as giving others what is due them. What no one seems to be talking about, though it's at the bedrock of all other injustice, is worship. Theistic justice bowing down to something that is worth bowing down to is not a justice issue. It is the justice issue from which all other justice blooms. The good news of God with us is the sounds of worship that resonate throughout the book of Revelation. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I get the impression that they could go on. And it will go on and on and on. Friends, at the center of a just kingdom is the Lord on his throne, 
receiving right worship, and that orients the whole of the people toward what is right and good and true. As the people are rightly oriented toward God in reverence and awe, we discover how to live rightly in this new creation world. In the coming year, when we see things that break our hearts in the world, and it won't be but January 1st before we see it, if we're paying any attention at all when we see evil prosper, when we see violence flourish, may our hearts turn to the Lord with the end in mind May our cry be, Lord, come quickly. Take your place on your throne. Orient me in reverence and awe. And orient the whole of the people. And may we be reminded of our own idolatry and sin. When we see violence in the world, may we remember our own idolatry and sin and be reoriented in worship. There is one king. I am not he. You are not he. There is one king and Lord. May we be rightly oriented in reverence and awe toward him. The second longing that we looked at was hunger for relationships. We were made to be with God. We looked at Genesis together. In prayer to do battle with sin, I'll often ask a question. One of the questions that I'll ask as I'm, as I'm wrestling in prayer is, what joy or blessing or privilege of salvation have I forgotten that I would fit or rage or chase after foolish desires? What blessing or privilege of salvation have I forgotten? Probably the greatest answer to the question that has done the greatest work in my own heart when it comes to my wrestling with sin and idolatry is one simple answer. I can know God. I can wander off after sin. I can chase vain things that are passing away. Or I can know God. Redemption, forgiveness, salvation has redeemed me to where I can know my actual maker. Be in communion and fellowship with him. And I found satisfaction in that relationship, wrestling with that reality that I so often forget. I think that there's some other good idea, some other thing that would be fun today, other than knowing my God at the center. What will our relationship with our God, our maker and redeemer look like in heaven? One of the things that we can do to embolden that remembering is to remember and, and look forward with faith and take hold of with faith what it will look like when we have right fellowship with our God. Well, verse 2 says the new Jerusalem is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And God will be with them as their God. And verse 7 says, I will be his God and he will be my son. So we have these three relationships. We have the relationship of a bride with the groom. We have this relationship of a people with their God. We have this relationship of a father with his son. This is right relationship to be wedded to the Redeemer. This is right relationship to be oriented to worship our God and right relationship to be brought into the house of our Father. Every other human relationship is temporary. 
You realize that. It's one of the reasons why when we're walking through Mark together, right? Jesus, Jesus' mother and his brothers come to him, and they're calling to him, come home, Jesus, you're hungry, and we think you might be out of your mind. And Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters, but those who do the word of God, who hear and obey. That's the eternal relationship, a relationship that is first oriented toward God. The purpose of our earthly mothers of our earthly fathers, is to bring us to know and love our Father in heaven and relinquish that place to our God. The purpose of husbands and wives is the image forth the marriage between Christ and the church. And one day, till death do us part, we will relinquish that relationship to the wedding between Christ and his church. Why are these relationships temporary? Because they're models. They give us a glimpse and a guide for our relationship with our God. The Lord is our husband and our father. We are bride and son. We enter into his kingdom as full inheritors and participants in the fullness of his household. This is what it means to be the people of God. Do you hunger relationship. So many of those familial particularly relationships, they're complicated, aren't they? That's the nice way to put it, right? Especially around Christmas when we have friends and family here with us. But they're complicated, aren't they? You hunger for relationship. To the young people in the congregation, do you find yourself often thinking and perhaps even worrying about friendships? Church, you know how the greatest trials in life come in the midst of the relationships with those that God has brought closest to us. In any of these cases, we hunger for relationship, and yet we find these relationships to be filled with fits and starts at best. May we find in the Lord this year a satisfaction and a hope. May we explore what it means to be in relationship with our God. These are just two of the images that are given, and they're right here in our passage. There are so many other images that are given throughout the scriptures, particularly in the Psalms, to give us images and guides by which we can know the relationship that we have with our God. And may the ground of perfect satisfaction in relationship be a steady bedrock for all of our other relationships. A bedrock of relationship with our God that cannot be moved, from which we can springboard into all of these other relationships. And then we have our quest for spirituality. Spirituality is a realization that there is more to reality than what we can see, hear, and touch. It's a confession that there's more to creation, specifically more to our own existence than material things. We know it intuitively. Any child is born with a sense that there is more to the child than just the body. There is a soul. It's a confession that there's something to reality more than our present everyday experience, the new heaven and the new earth, are a breaking in to the visible, this invisible reality. And it's contra idolatry. The greatest enemy of genuine spirituality is a twisted and perverse cousin. 
The enemy of genuine spirituality is idolatry. Idolatry pursues the sense that there is a spiritual, that there is something else. It's just twisted and wrong. Idolatry makes a similar confession that there's more to reality than what we can see. But then it makes up that more to reality with images and reflections that are nothing more than the creation of our own imaginations or the projection of our own desires. We know there's something more, and so we begin to invent it since we can't see it. But there will be a new city. It has dimensions. You don't get to make it up. God tells us what they are. There's a new city, and in that city, there is no more idolatry. There is only that which is real. We'll see it with our own eyes, the fullness of reality. There's a number of phrases in this passage I don't get. There's a passage that talks about the purity of the gold and says that the streets are made of this pure gold and they're transparent. I, I just I can't imagine what genuinely pure gold that's so pure that it's transparent looks like. But one of these days, I'll see it. You see, the gold of heaven is not a, a matter of my imagination. It's not a matter of my projection. It's a matter of what is real. And it's been revealed to us. And when we see it, we'll know it. And we'll see angels. We'll see heaven. We'll have a greater sense of our own soulful existence. We'll have a greater sense of what is real. And most importantly, we will see God. The Alpha and the Omega. And that God will crowd out any room for idols. Friends, this is an idol-free city. It is a beautiful place in which people live in light of what is real. And it's the end of evil. In verses 7 and 8, it speaks of, of the Lord casting out all evil and evildoers. The, note the words faithless and sorcerers and idolaters. These are those who either deny God or try to craft false gods for themselves. There'll be no more. And if you are there, if you are there by grace alone, through faith alone, any trace of your faithlessness and your idolatry will be gone as well. Friends, that's good news. That's good news for a heart that is prone to wander. It's the glorious hope of our redemption. Redemption spirituality that is full of all that is real. Just like the gospel is not afraid to look at what is real, but invades what is the reality of my broken life and brings about a new creation, a new thing, giving the gift of faith to take hold of the grace that is in Christ. We will be full of all that is real without the foolish and vain interjections of false gods. Friends, in this coming year, we don't have to wait for the new heavens and the new earth. I want that. It's coming, and it's not far off. But we don't have to wait. We can begin to live spiritual lives today in light of the fullness of reality by faith. We can take hold of, by faith, what is already real. We can seek the Lord. 
We become, can become hearers of his word as they're recorded in the scripture. We can come to know what is real. We have access to it. And we can seek to live in light of what he has revealed. Do you want that in the coming year? Do you want to be a spiritual people? A people who live in light of what is real. Finally, we are people who delight in beauty. It's quite natural. It's automatic. When we see that which is awesome, we declare its wonder. We delight in beauty. In verse 11, it's speaking of this holy city that is coming down out of heaven from God. And it says it has the glory of God. It's radiance like the, a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. I don't even know what color jasper is, but evidently it's clear as crystal. And something tells me it's beautiful. The bride of the Lamb having the glory of God. These are the definitions of beautiful. Last week, we considered the origin and the purpose of beauty. We remembered that beauty serves as both a gift and a map. This quote from Stephen DeWitt, he says, it is a gift to be enjoyed and a map to be followed back to the source of the beauty with praise and thanksgiving. And here we are. Beauty will have finally done its work when Revelation 21 is so. Because the people of God will be finally at their journey's end, situated, gazing at beauty itself. Words indescribable. The new heavens and the new earth are the place where the gift and the map's destinations are one and the same. will finally settle into, no longer have to be led to, but take up residence in our glorious hope, God with us. Last week, we also considered that the heart of beauty is self-giving. What's the beauty of heaven? What is at the heart of it? God with us. It's one of the most transformative things that somewhere along the line, I don't know exactly where it was, but it was in the midst of the study of the word, that the reality dawns on me that we aren't going to heaven someday. Heaven is coming to earth. He's come. And like a, a he's, he's coming in a city and he's making his place, his dwelling among us. And heaven is again coming to earth. Friends, that's the image of a gift. That's the image of love. It's the image of beauty. God with us. The self-giving, glorious God in the midst of his people. Look at the way that that the throne himself announces it. The dwelling place of God is with man. That's good news. The beauty of heaven is God giving himself for the full enjoyment of his people. And we'll worship him, and we'll behold him, and we'll enjoy him, and we'll feast in his presence, and we will flourish in the everlasting city.
The scriptures give us glimpses of this beauty. Verse 12, it had a high, great high wall with 12 gates and the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east, three gates. And on the north, three gates. And on the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And on the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Just the beginning of the description. Go and read more. Enjoy and call forth what is future hope into your present reality by faith. In the new heavens and the new earth, there is no mistaking where all this beauty came from. And what we ought to do as people who are recipients of all of this beauty. This year, may all our delight in beauty remind us that there is a glory that has not yet been fully revealed. Whatever you're partaking in, whatever you are enjoying, it's beautiful. I'm sure it is. But there is more. One day our eyes will see it. Our ears will hear it. At the heart of this beauty is God with us. Friends, for all the longings and the echoes of Advent this morning, I hope you can catch a little bit of a glimpse of what it looks like for those longings to be fulfilled. I hope that this scripture has captured your imagination, that you have become to imagine with faith to know what reality actually is according to the revelation of the scriptures themselves. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Think on that. He will be with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. One of the things that I like to do with the scriptures is I like to pay attention to the words. And you know, when you know that some things are said that don't need to be said because it's kind of repetitive, it's worth paying attention to. You see, this passage was over. It was over right at the beginning. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Thank you for the information. Now I know everything that I need to know from this paragraph and verse. But then it says it again. He will be with them. I know, you said that. His dwelling place will be with man. And they will be his people. I know, you just said that. God himself will be with them as their God. I know, because God will be with us. What's he doing? I want to commission you to this in the coming week. I know many of you have this week off. I hope that those of you who do are able to enjoy it. Make use of it. But make use of it in this way. If he says it over and over again, perhaps it's that we have something to reflect on. Perhaps we didn't hear it the first time. Perhaps there is something glorious, some edge to be leaned into, some word or phrase that is worthy of further reflection. Reflect on this verse in the coming week. I call you today, if you have not yet placed your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, today is the day to take hold of this glorious vision by faith. I call you to cry out to the Lord in faith and so be saved. Confess your sin, take hold of grace. And for everyone here, everyone, may God use his word 
to increase your confidence. Friends, as I look at today, if there's anything that I do not have in this world today, it's confidence. I have a sense, right? You are probably with me that there is a sense that the old things are passing away. It seems to have already begun. I have very little confidence. But may the meditation upon this scripture give us a confidence in what is real, what is coming, what is lasting, eternal, satisfying. And may he orient your hope toward the day in which we will all together gather and experience God with us. Friends, that won't just change that day. That will change today. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use your word, the meditation of your people upon your word, your, your spirit's work in the midst of the people to remind us of the truth in our moments and in our days, that you would use these things to transform us as a people. Reorient us, Lord, we pray. I thank you for this glorious vision that you have not left us unaware of what is coming. I pray that we would meditate upon this hope, that we would live in light of the end. And as a people who today are living in light of the hope that is at the end, it would change our day. And we know that there is a reality in which we don't have to wait for God to be with us. But your Holy Spirit is given as a good deposit. Your word is with us. We can hear the voice of our Redeemer. We can speak with you and interact with you and relate with you. Today, we can see the evidence of your beauty in the midst of our world and our relationships. We can worship you. We don't have to wait. We can begin today. Thank you, Lord. We trust you for your grace and the work at work in the midst of your people, a people celebrating your advent today. We pray this in your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.